At Push My Buttons Podcast, you can get all the gaming news, as well as information on latest releases and game reviews. You can also watch us play some of your favorite games, everything from Sonic the Hedgehog to God of War, on YouTube and Twitch. Follow us on all the social media and listen on all of your favorite apps. Just search for Push My Buttons Podcast. Listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. You expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. I think you can kiss your trade franchise goodbye. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye, our continuing series on the films of the James Bond franchise, which we have called On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. Uh, aka for your ears only whatever you want to call it at this point i don't know uh golden podcast sure because we are at that point we're in pierce brosnan country now and uh we are talking about goldeneye today and we have uh we have invited a very special guest um back from our black lives matter episode KB, you are here with us again. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. Um, uh, excited to talk about GoldenEye, which I don't like. So yes. Oh, wow, <laughs> fun. Then that'll be that. Well, then this is going to get very interesting very quickly. So there we go. Uh, and with me, per usual is Brooke. Welcome back to the podcast, Brooke. Thank you. I would just like to point out that on this ep- this episode where M is now a woman, we have more women recording than men. Yes, we do. Yeah. That is first, first time ever. Podcast. We, we broke that barrier uh, because Mark is not here. So thank you, Mark, for not showing up. And <laughs> <laughs> Even without him here, we can give him crap. So. <laughs> exactly. So that's that's kind of perfect. Um, and um, bringing bringing his own brand of estrogen to <laughs> to the podcast. Uh, my best friend since high school, JB Flinders. Welcome back to the podcast, buddy. Thank you, my friend. Always good to be here with you and my estrogen laden side of the world. Indeed. <laughs> And uh, coming in, uh, keeping the San Antonio contingent down, even though Mark is not here. Welcome back to returning champion, Melissa Martinez. Hello. I prefer bourbon, just so y'all know. <laughs> I say gifts, whatever. 14 Good. weeks in a row of champion. How, how many weeks are we at? I have no idea. Undefeated. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not. Are we keeping score here? I don't know. I, I just know she's that. the champion. I just assume I always won, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you win the podcast every week. So there you go. Um, still the winner. Okay, so uh, we're here at GoldenEye. Um, you know, when when I first started this podcast, I said there are a few people who I really want to bring into this space. And Kay was one of the people who immediately came to my mind. And I'm like... Is there any chance that you like James Bond movies? And you're like, yeah, let me know when you get to the later stuff. And you specifically mentioned Goldeneye. 
So I want to ask you, why were you like this? This is the one that I got to talk about. I think because when it comes to James Bond's, you know, like my top two Bonds are going to be Sean Connery for sure. Um, and Daniel Craig. So the Pierce Brosnan age for me, I just, do you know those films that you watch that you love to watch them yet you hate them? Um, those are the Pierce Brosnan bonds for me. Like they're That just, sounds like many movies from the 1990s. Yes. 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 They're just so cringeworthy. Like the dialogue. Oh my gosh. Like the dialogue in Golden Eye. I just felt like I needed to state my piece publicly. Like guys, Golden Eye is not for me. Like, no. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some gems, i.e. Alan Cummings, who I am obsessed with in general. So I will always love, even though that accent is terrible. Um, but <laughs> overall, like GoldenEye for me is definitely not going to make my top 10, not even my top 20 of, of Bond films, if, if I'm going to be honest. But Wow. So bottom five by default. Yes. Bottom five. Guys, were we watching the same movie? Like, I just... <laughs> top and yet top three for one of mine. In fact, one that I would oh consider... One that I would consider one of the three you have to watch if you've never seen a Bond movie before. <gasps> what? So different and unique and completely ridiculously awesome because they finally transition archaic Bond into CGI... We're not using Fleming's Bond, also Judy Dench is in it, kind of. Yeah, bond. now yeah, it's really interesting that you didn't like it as much as I really enjoyed it. So that's that's really cool. I will give you Dame Judy Dench, though. I mean, like pretty much as soon as she comes on the scene, you're like, oh, this movie's gonna get better, and then it doesn't. But she is still fantastic, <laughs> like pretty much in everything, and you know, obviously. Being the head of MI6, she's completely badass. But yeah, yeah. So I think I think Andy, the the interesting thing, and and you and I who grew up together, a lot of the love of Golden Eye comes from the the fact that it transcends the movie itself, right? So for us, right. Golden Eye was the entire marketing machine of Bond, completely interjecting itself into our summer. Right. And in fact, right. A lot of us still play GoldenEye, the four player 64 magic. Uh, right. So, I mean, there's all those other facets. And I know, Andy, you want to talk about this later, but I, I wonder how much of it is on face value. Yeah. The, the I mean, the movie's fun. It's got Sean Bean. Sean Bean dies. Right. That, what would he dies you, twice. Twice, in fact. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I, I wonder how much of it is this is, to me, the first Bond that became the franchise, right? Because of all the aspects that it, uh, that it brought into pop culture. So I, I wonder if that's part of it for like you and I, for example, growing up where we did. Like well, that's for, part of the nostalgia for you guys. And, totally. And, oh, because see, if I'm going to go with Pierce, who like if I had to name my favorite Pierce Brosnan Bond movie, it's going to be Die Another Day. Wow. And I'm the exact opposite. That, yeah, me too. That, that is a bottom five yeah. for me. Really? <laughs> oh, I love that it. Terrible. Oh. I love that we're on the opposite ends of the spectrum. 
<laughs> and, yeah, it's all, no. and it's all Pierce's fault. That's even better. Like, <laughs> thanks a lot, Remington. No, well, I mean, I've I've said before this this was my first Bond movie. This was the first movie I saw. I, you know, well, I mean, again, I I technically saw Never Say Never Again as like a very small child at a drive-in in California somewhere, but you know, I didn't register it really, and I wasn't into James Bond at you know three years of age, but. You know, we were both at that age where, like, you know, a big blockbuster movie, like, was a was a big deal, and this sort of just hit us, um, you know, right at that time. And it's like, oh, um, James Bond, he's he's cool again. And um, as I've also said before, guys, what do I love? I love the Cold War. It's like a drinking game. I got to bring up how much I love the Cold War. And then this is like, it's not only the Cold War, but it's like, oh, it's the after effects of the Cold War. And we get to like kind of deconstruct it and we get to, but we still get to play with all the Cold War tropes and, um, but it's slightly different. And I just, it, it reverberates on a wavelength that is like very special to me. And yeah. Uh, I can't, I can't separate this from also my nostalgia for the Nintendo 64 GoldenEye and the many, many hours spent playing that game with you know, and, three and, other people. And Andy, I think the the interesting thing, you know, now now that we're in our 40s, I think back at the quote unquote the generational Bond movie right mm -hmm. like casino royale brought a whole new group of bond fans to bond because of daniel craig um you're from russia with love goldfinger like that's the one my parents talk about right right um, except for free your eyes only which you know we talked about already i think golden eye is kind of that sweet spot where it brought a whole new generation of I mean, those of us like, you know, I watched Roger Moore Bond films growing up and I watched Connery, but they weren't, they were too slow for me. Right. I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I was, I was bored. Like, ah, oh, when's Sean Connery going to do something other than be really creepy. Right. And then Goldeneye came out and here's, you know, Christopher Walken's finally working EMP system and <clears throat> video game music and explosions. Right. And Sean Bean and all the double crossing and and I think that's the draw of Goldeneye is it brought those newer movie tropes, um, you know, into the those '90s blockbuster movies, like you said, that the ones didn't have it before. And and maybe that's again, you're right. The dialogue is terrible, but I I have yet to find a non Daniel Craig Bond movie that I liked the dialogue. Um, so, you know, like, I mean, you could watch a Bond movie on mute and make up your own dialogue and go, this movie got way better. Um, but I, I wonder if that, you know, to your point, Andy, is that's that's where this movie separates is you're coming off of some fairly disappointing to, to a lot of people, Dalton movies. And then here comes this pop culture juggernaut that takes you back into the world of Bond. And, and whether that's a good or a bad thing or um, I, I, I feel like there's a lot of the late thirties, early forties, that, that that's where that came from. And, and, and so it's really interesting. Kay, like you said, to where you, where you don't like it, 
because really it's it it's not a terribly great inventive movie in fact if i remember they started as the plot of true lies and they had to fix it and change everything because it was basically the same movie um so yeah it needed a lot of work but that's that's where i wonder if that difference i will say i 1000 percent agree with you um in terms of dialogue for every bond film like the dialogue is just not extraordinary over the course of the years in general like you could i agree actually i might do what you just said I might turn one on and then I love it because it's not it's not like revolutionary dialogue in in any of the films so I definitely agree with you there but I can't believe you guys don't like like the entrance of Michelle you I mean she's like my queen I love her so much and the fact that she is in die another day you guys just don't I mean what like I just love her so much and then, of course, there's Halle Berry, who, like, let's be honest, I mean, like, in most action films, she she mostly has the same role. Um, but I can't say I didn't love the fact that she was a, a Bond girl and she was in it. I, of course, did. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm going to say the same thing about John Wick 3. I loved her in John Wick 3. Oh, she was but, great. Oh, very yeah. good. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, but um, gosh, I can't believe you guys don't like Die Another Day. I like Die Another Day. I'm with you on that one. But yeah. I do also like GoldenEye. Like it, for me as well as JB and, and Andy, there really is nostalgia there. Like I moved out of my house before I graduated high school and this, like we played GoldenEye. It was the game that the boys would let me play with them because they're assholes and they could always kill me in it. And so I had to learn to get really good at it. <laughs> and um, it just held a certain amount of nostalgia for me as well. Watching it again, I was like, hmm. <laughs> There's so much of this that I have forgiven, just like accepted because of nostalgia, but I still really enjoyed it. Oh gosh, yeah. The rewatch that I did this weekend, I was like, am I like in another time period? What? What? I mean, some of these lines are just iconic. Oh, Which, yeah. I mean, I'm sure we'll get to later, but right. I'm like, guys, who wrote this? Like, <laughs> who wrote this line? <laughs> but I love how they pass it off as that. Like, oh, this is the first non-Ian Fleming story about Bond. It's like, yeah, because like they just cobbled a bunch. Like, Google must have written it. They're like, type in a Bond script, and Google cranked it out. You know, it's, it's terrible. I swear, like, 98% of it really is just Pierce, you know, ad-libbing. That's really what it feels like wouldn't surprise me so yeah except for except for a few very like a very specific pieces there where i feel like that so one of the other things i really like about this is i feel like there is a deliberate deconstruction of bond in this and i'll get a little more into that but uh a little later um I wanted to hear from Melissa though, like, had had you seen this before we rewatched these, or was this mostly new to you? I I vaguely remember a few of the scenes from it. I'd only seen it the once, um, you know. Because the only reason I got into Bond, I mentioned this before, is because my grandpa liked him. And uh, by 1995, when this movie came out, my grandfather had finally retired from work, and. So I remember going to the movie theater with him, 
mostly because I just we never really got to go to the movies that often and I and he promised popcorn and soda so that's like the biggest reason why I went with him um but you know I I don't recall a lot of it so some of it felt new and some of it felt familiar it's a very weird thing um but overall I feel like this movie for me um I appreciate a lot of things. It has a lot of things going for it, but there's some things that bothered me so much that I I feel like this is a movie that should have been like an eight or even maybe a nine. And I I feel like I need to give it like a six or a 6.5 out of 10, you know, because there's, there's just some things that, that detracted from it for me. And, and I, I feel like I'm going to be in the minority saying this, but the biggest detra- uh, distraction for me was Pierce Brosnan himself. Um, you know, I was familiar with him because my grandma used to like to watch Remington Steel, like in the 80s. And, you know, in the 80s, you're a kid, like TV is king and you just watch whatever, you know what I mean? And later on, I preferred reading books over TV for a while, so I didn't watch as much. But I didn't really care for Remington Steel, but I watched it. And I remember Prayers Brosnan being like this really elegant, suave guy. And so I understand why they wanted him to be Bond, because he has those things that I think people expect out of Bond. But he seemed really like he's an elegant man. And that does a service to James Bond when he's like in a casino or trying to seduce a woman. But during the action sequences, I didn't always buy it. And, and, he also just, it's like he kept, was trying to cue up this suave, debonair demeanor that it came off as stiff sometimes, especially when he was supposed to be funny. And and that and a few other things, just, I, I didn't enjoy this movie as much as I should have. Like, I felt like I should have liked this more than I actually did, if that makes sense. Sure. I mean, and uh, I'm, I'm interested in hearing that, because, like, you know, as I think... Uh, you know, Brooke JB and I all said like this holds a lot of nostalgia for us, and so we're like very blind to yeah, uh, yeah. many of the flaws here. So it's good to have you know al- alternative opinions, and I like hearing them because you're not wrong. No, yeah. I think I'll agree with you. Like I feel like because this was his first Bond film, that it took him a few films to really find his stride. Like, I agree in the sense that, you know, most of the time you're watching this film and it is almost like hard for him to be two different people, if that makes sense. Like, it's hard for him to be um, the bonds that we need versus the ladies bond. Like, I feel like he's always the ladies bond. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so it's really odd. Like it's very, it's very weird when he's in those um, high sequence, like high action packed moments. You still feel like he's almost flirting, like with the camera. It's like, what is happening here, Pierce? Like he, we need you he to kind of is focusing, yeah. right? Right. It's like, but we need you to focus on the it's, mission. Like you don't need these eyes. I, I think it's his movements too. Like the, he just seems so stiff in some of them. Like he, like he was learning how to do these action sequences for the first time or something. And I remember there was this one scene where he was like climbing a ladder and I, it looked like he never climbed a ladder in his life somehow to me. Like I just kept getting distracted and there's a lot of action sequences in this one. It that like, 
that surprised me. There's a lot of action, a lot of shit blowing up. You know what I mean? Um, and I, some of them, he just didn't look like he belonged in there. It was so weird. Like, I, I think you're right. Like he was always the ladies man, even when it called for him to be like macho man or something, you know what I mean? It, it's, it, it, it was distracting. I got pulled out of the movie a few times by his performance and considering how much people wanted him to be bond so i mean he i one thing i do remember from the mid 90s when when they announced him uh people were like yes you know they were celebrating all the bond fans were so happy um and after seeing this first man like i don't get it that's what you were <laughs> for all those years those five years you know what i mean like it it doesn't compute to me See, and I, I, I like him as Bond, but because but, but are you going off just this movie or all of his movies? Right, right. Well, That's what I was gonna say. I think it's because, like, he developed more in in the remaining films. Like, he became Bond a bit more, but the first film is very clunky. And I think I didn't realize that until doing like a couple of rewatches for this podcast specifically. I was like, oh yeah, like this doesn't hold up the way, you know, like I, I felt like it did when I watched it the first time. Like you really start to see those flaws to your point um, and that he really is kind of unsure of himself in a lot of ways. And that really comes across on film. Um, and I think that's also why I prefer the later, like, I mean, obviously he's still not in my top two favorite bonds. Of course, those are still going to Sean and Daniel, but I still prefer Pierce's later films as, as Bond. And I think it's just because he became more comfortable, like with the character and how to portray him on screen. Well, I think that's the devil's advocate piece, right? If you're asking, did you want something different than... 95 year old Roger Moore and five foot <laughs> Timothy Dalton, right? Uh, I mean, I think I will always, always, I always go off on Timothy Dalton looks like the shortest person in a Bond film. I don't know why they filmed him from the top down, but he looks so short and clunky in all these movies. And I, I wonder if, I wonder if the same criticism could be made for. Other, I mean, because because really, if you're not Sean and you're not Daniel Craig, you're you probably you're not a necessarily stereotypical great Bond, right? Dalton didn't do it. Roger Moore was just I never understood the Roger Moore thing. So I understand where you're coming from, but I thought Pierce was a really nice change, and I thought he did a really good job. And I wonder, I'm interested in uh, Kay, especially you're talking about Die Another Day most of Pierce's films are carried by side characters. So it's interesting to me that you didn't like Goldeneye because to me, I didn't think Pierce was all that much different. I thought the side characters were just great and always carried Pierce through all of his movies. So I, I wonder Agreed. why Die Another Day was better for you with equally good side characters as this one. Um, other than, I mean, Halle Berry and is just great in everything, right? Uh, so I mean, Pierce is Pierce. I saw him as Remington Steele, grade B TV actor in every role. So I, I'm that, I'm just throwing that out there as that's that's an interesting point that I didn't think of is I like Pierce's movies because of the side characters. What made this one different than Die Another Day? I actually never thought about that. Like now that you mention it, it makes sense. Like he is not the person who's actually carrying the film. 
And I really didn't think about that until you said it. But for me, actually, I mean, these side characters, I also didn't love. Interesting. Okay. So, so I think that's why, like for that me, I, I genuinely mm-hmm. love. Yeah. So I yeah, think it's perfect. just because I didn't love, love, love these side characters. I mean, um, I do think that um, I enjoyed Alan Cummings character, um, but I just enjoy all bodies of work that involve. Like, I mean, honestly, have you guys watched Alan Cummings on, on The Good Wife? Like, oh my God, oh, extraordinary. Oh, he's awesome. I mean, instinct, yeah. he carries. Extraordinary. Him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. like, I just, I genuinely love Alan Cummings. So like, of course I was like, yay. But I just kind of felt like, how can I put this? I guess I kind of felt like the women were interchangeable. Yeah, good Like point. none of them, none of their performances were particularly memorable. Right. And I felt like they could have been swapped at any moment. Oh, wow. And not a single Russian. Right. Yeah. He, and so he, I was like, hmm. And of course, I mean, Judy Dench is going to be, you know, you know, grand in, in almost everything. So obviously I'm not talking about her. But I just felt like everyone else was just kind of moving through. Right. I mean, Sean Bean, you know, like clearly... Um, that whole exchange uh, between Sean Bean dying twice and everything happening there. Yeah. Okay. Sure. But for me, I think it's because die another day just has better. Uh, and I'm not even going to say they're fabulous because I still feel like there's a lot of work that needs to be done when it comes to the women characters in the bond franchise. But I do think that they're better than golden eye. Yeah. No, that makes, mm-hmm. and that makes sense. And, and thanks for uh, talking about that with me. Cause I kind of feel like that was, that was a main detractor in all of the Brosnan films for me was I thought he would be something different. Um, and he kind of just kept that, that B actor. Like if, if I had seen him on a USA network bond film, instead of a big screen bond film, I would have felt exactly the same. Right. You know? mm-hmm. But I like that because I think you're right. I think they, they fleshed out characters much better in the later ones for him, right. For him to bounce off of and, and, build off of and i think the nice thing is that carried into the daniel craig films as having really well developed side characters but him being so much better it only made the films better right so they didn't have to carry him they it all equaled out for much better films anyway and so andy i i think that's that's a really interesting piece and i don't know if you and i had ever talked about that no well and my my take on this is like yes natalia i mean as much as i i like natalia she's kind i mean she's basically a girlfriend reward at the end and that's basically it she doesn't she doesn't have a whole lot else there to say except help move the plot along say some funny lines every once in a while she let me die. give a yeah well let, yeah <laughs> Let me give a tiny defense of Xenia on a top. Um, first no defense for her. First, Fomka Jansen, like she's she's just amazing. But the the other thing, the thing about her is she is she is James Bond. She is a deconstructed alternate universe version of James Bond from the very beginning when she is introduced. How is she introduced? She is driving a fast sports car with Bond up in the mountains. 
And then where do they immediately end up afterwards? The casino. And she's sitting there playing Baccarat. And she is smoking the cigar. And she is doing what Bond would normally do. And um, she is the badass. She is the one who is going out and seducing people uh, and killing them. And, you know, playing that side of the spy game. Um, I think that, you know, of course, Xenia is, you know, over the top and ridiculous. But I think she is, you know, a, a commentary on Bond and how ridiculous the idea of this all is. And, you know, that's that's what she's there for. So, um you know, she, that being said, um, she's not like in my top 10 favorite characters, but I do think that like of the entire franchise, um, but I do think that she has like an important role to play in what I like about this movie in being a, a, a deconstruction of a lot of the Bond tropes. Like you think that she's kind of the first example in the franchise of this deconstructive theory that you have like right okay yeah okay also random fact but i have been to that casino no way where is that casino it is in um monaco and nice. i've been to i've been to that casino it's actually a nice casino but yes um Okay, I can see where you're coming from with the deconstruction theory, yeah, of yeah. or her at least being like a mirror image of Bond, and then right. trying to. For the yeah. record, I would hope it's a nice casino because if they were filming at the Stratosphere in Vegas, I would have some serious <laughs> problems with the Bond film. Well, we just I mean, went they down did... the road to Las Vegas real quick, and yeah, we needed a couple extra shots, so we we stopped into the Stratosphere and just went up to the twenty fourth floor. I mean, they already were in Circus Circus in Diamonds Are Forever. So it's not like they haven't already gone to, you know, that that low there. But but still. So, Andy, let me on this deconstruction thing. One of the things. So, uh, Kay, for for the one a, a couple times ago, Andy tried to convince us that The Living Daylights was a great film because of the Cold War trope. Right. And all right. he ended up doing is make us hate the movie more because he talked it up so great and the movie totally didn't do any of that. So we were all really disappointed even more so than we were before. So I want to get your take Andy on the cold war trope, the, the Russian language use, right? All of your, your standard, does this match the, the motif of what you look for in a cold war film? I mean, kind of, um, first of all, I don't know what, Z, uh, you know, Xenia is doing the same thing Sean Connery did in Hunt for Red October. I don't, that's not Russian. It's not Georgian either. Um, and, you know, she she keeps saying, Bliach, which that's not a word. That's not a word in any Um It's very similar to the word Bliad, which is whore, um, which would be, you know, is, is a pretty good swear in Russian yeah, if you're going to yell that. That would make more sense, yeah. Yeah, um, but 
Bliach, I don't know what the what the I mean, hell and that Ma- is. Martin Campbell, not a master of linguists from his other movies I've seen, so understand. Right. Well, I mean, it goes back to the script. You know, they probably were just like, oh, you know, yeah, sure, say that. Yeah. You know, nobody nobody cared. You had you had an American, a Scot, uh, and an Englishman playing the three main Russian roles in in this movie. So you know. Whatever. Yeah. 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 Sure. Good enough. You thought so, she was but, as bad as Connery? Her accent, really? Um. Well, I mean, Connery did. I mean, in in trying to speak Russian, maybe not. But I mean, the fact. I mean, th- this does go to the like, the fact that we actually have characters named Boris and Natasha. And they speak like they are going to hunt for moose and squirrel. <laughs> so, you know, it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a little out there. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, 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 it's pretty fine. Bad. I mean, that, that didn't distract me as much as like, you know, her sex noises. Oh, like just, well, you know, yeah. it just sounded like a bad porn. Like I, I get that she's getting off to like the danger or whatever, but it, it was very performative, like male gazy performative porn. Very. Thing, you know? Oh, yeah. 100%. That was the thing I hated about her character. Like, there's ways that they could have done that if they really wanted to go there without it sounding like 70s porn, like overreacting. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. that that's, So her accent, while it wasn't great, I, I still think Connery is way worse, but... That was what bothered me the most about her. I, I mean, I like, I kind of like her name. It's, it's clever. It's, it's stupid, but it's, it's fun, you know. But, ugh, they could have done so much better with that character. She could have, ugh, there was so much potential there. Which again is like, I feel like that's a microcosm of the entire movie. Like, she could have been an eight or a nine, and instead it's like a six, six point five, you know. Fair. I also hate that they dubbed Minnie Driver's voice, even though she's a great singer in real life. They dubbed oh, her gosh. voice, yep. Oh, because they couldn't make her sound. I don't, I don't know. I just they had, I, or they, or the accent was different or something. But yeah, she's she's dubbed because she's probably way too good of a singer to pull that. Terrible <laughs> that was pretty terrible, yeah, and I didn't remember she was in this. I was like, oh my god! In fact, I have her down as one of my favorite side characters, even though she's like in oh, one she scene. Great. <laughs> she's one scene singing her heart out and i'm like oh gosh yeah <laughs> i feel like though to your point if they were going to make um miss Anatop's character better they probably should have um had her be written by a woman so you know undoubtedly take out, take out some of that male gaze um yeah. maybe even directed by a woman uh you know take the focus um off of her body and you know put it really into fleshing out her her character a bit more but i will say you know that kind of brings me to the corniest line of the entire movie <laughs> which is i'll trust you'll stay on a top of things i'm like oh my god <laughs> oh Ooh, yes gosh. oh my gosh <laughs> who said yes to this <sighs> Martin Campbell, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> we we just got this rewrite. What do you think of this? 
It's gold. Let's put that in the movie. That's going to be the best line. The line that everyone remembers. Yeah. Well, just consider it him building up his cred for Casino Royale. So any any mistakes he made, I, I go, okay, I forgive you. Two movies from, well, or five, four movies from now. I mean, I do, I do credit him to a large extent in sort of saving and revitalizing the franchise at this point. And then he does it again with Casino Royale, only better. Right. So, um, I mean, as, as I've mentioned on the last like five or six episodes, uh, the Bond franchise was in a like long, slow, steady decline. Every single movie made less than the one that came out previously until this one. Right. Um, in fact, they were during License to Kill, they were still paying off debt from Moonraker. That is like how bad like financially they were doing. Um, this was a big deal. And, you know, it, I, it's, it's cheesy mid nineties schlock in a lot of ways. And it's super male gazy. And that is, I don't know. I, I feel like the sort of the encapsulation of what, uh, movies in 1995 were kind of like, so, um, and Connery wanted Mel Gibson instead of Pierce Brosnan. Can you imagine that? Oh my gosh. Oh, oh my gosh. That oh, would no. be terrible. Thank oh. you, Braveheart, for saving us from that. Yeah. Hey, so Brooke, I wanted to ask you what you thought about Xenia. I wanted you to weigh in on that. I mean, I like the sex noises. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um and? I didn't mm, I I didn't take issue with her character except that I felt I felt it was overplayed to try to make her his equal and that bothered me like Mm -hmm. I like the things that you pointed out about her being in the car and being doing the things that he was supposed to be doing at the table but like he never would have yelled pretend profanities when he lost his hand like they made her do and it was just like every step they took to try to make her his equal was overplayed even into the sex noises being over exaggerated like they were in a porno like it wasn't just fun for her to be killing someone she had so i i like the attempt that they made but i'm with melissa in that it could have been much better had they just like chilled the fuck out a bit and let it be more natural um, instead of overdone at every single turn. And Brooke, right. let, let me ask a quick question because I'm interested in this. No, How... I've never killed anyone through sex. Not yet. There's still time. Right. Yeah. So... I may give some bad advice one day and that might change, but not she's yet. Just, she's just taking notes from all these movies. Um, <laughs> Compared to one of my favorite Bond characters, Grace Jones in A View to a Kill, what what should they have learned from that? Like compare and contrast the two and, and what could they have done better? Because I know we talked a lot about Grace in that film um, and, and there were some things that I, I know, I, if I remember you recommended they could have done better. Uh, is it the same kind of improvements or do you see something that might have been even better? <sighs> Um, 
I guess I just don't think that women need to be so overplayed to be believable. And mm. and part of that is um, what bothered me about Natalia as well. It was like she... I, I keep trying to figure out why it bothered me, her screaming when she was about to die. It wasn't... Because I think we would all be screaming if we were about to die and had a big satellite falling on our heads. Um, but she's this smart, intelligent programmer who makes it out alive and who is reduced down to being, like Andy said, just girlfriend reward at the end of the movie. But all of her reactions were like so overly feminine, I guess, to try to, to make it the point that she's female. And that just bothered me. Um, I think that with Sinia that it just, I, I liked that she was getting a thrill out of killing that guy through sex. Like I thought that was actually pretty entertaining, <laughs> but um, the way that she was like attacking him like a ravenous animal to try to, to make the point that she was going to turn a switch and start killing him. I mean, I've seen a lot of sex. <laughs> I've never seen, like, even in, like, S&M and bondage and different things, like, I haven't seen it go to this, like, out-of-control, I'm-a-wild-animal-type noises. And I felt like that was just really overplayed to try to make point, to try to make it believable, and that just killed it for me. It made it so much less believable. And I yeah, think they I agree did with that you. with her character the whole time. Well, in order to make it believable that she's strong, we better put, like the car chase was fun, but the swearing and throwing her cards and like these different, like it just was, we better make it believable. We better go all in. We better go over the top because it's a woman. Like it can't be nuanced. I, yeah, they, there's yeah. no range. It's just one thing and one thing only. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you, Brooke. I kind of feel like um, historically, actually, the Bond films have a problem in in that regard. Like, I mm -hmm. feel like the women characters are over the top versus actually getting agency that matters. Right. And they have kind of that foundation and they have those kind of like bare bones. Like, like you mentioned, like she's actually a brilliant character um, who then eventually goes nowhere except for on an adventure by Pierce's side, right? Like right. now she is just along for the ride and, you know, um, he's going to save her life. And in the end, they're going to run off together until the next film when there'll be another woman. And really until the next five minutes when there'll be another woman, if we're being honest. So right. mm -hmm. even when right. she attacks Boris, she can't go up and just like walk up and out of the blue slap him. She has to lose her shit like a crazy woman. Like that, just like just right. knock right. it off. I, I agree, um, ladies, that, that she was way over the top. Um, what what I found myself thinking when I would see her, because, um, you know, all the, the sounds she makes and everything, it, it reminded me a little bit, like almost like she was channeling Fatima Blush. Do y'all remember her from 
the unofficial oh, yeah. James Bond. Because you remember she had that very distinctive laugh and she got off to killing people. She really loved her job. But she was still far more subtle. You know, um, she I mean, she may have been the most over-the-top person in her particular movie, but she was far more subtle than Xenia is here. And and I even though that was an unofficial Bond movie, I know, but they could have taken some cues from that because a woman can really be into her job, even if it's like as a killer and not be like this. Like, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think you're right. They tried to compensate for her vagina, basically, because they thought it would be a liability because I feel like having a vagina in a James Bond movie is a liability, you know, because these are written for the male gaze are written by men. And, and they're trying to make up for that, in, in a sense. Um, but I do want to push back. I think I liked Natalia better than than everybody else so far. Yes, it was very uneven. Like, some days, or some scenes, she was just along for the ride. And others, she was really central. But there were little things that I liked about her that I feel like she was more fleshed out than Zinnia or most women in a Bond movie. Even though they could have done a lot more with her. Um, one example, like after, you know, the, in the helicopter, when the missiles come back and they barely escape it, she he gets out, he gets her out and she starts kicking the shit out of him. You know, like little things like that I really enjoyed about her. Also, I mean, she really did kind of save the day with her programming, you know, um, that's we can't we can't discount that, you know, um, Bond could not right. have done what she did and Bond could not have won this whole thing. I mean, he's going to get all the credit, of course, you know, uh, but he could not have done it. You know, they would have lost if it weren't for her. So yes, she was frustrating in some ways, but again, it's just like the entire movie, really good potential, but ultimately frustrating. And I yeah, would like I to say I do like her. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kay. Oh, no, no, no. It's fine. I was just going to tell her, like, I think that you hit the nail on the head in the sense that like, we know that she actually saved the day with her programming, but no one would remember that because Bond's going to get all the credit. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the film, you walk away being like, oh, Bond is the hero. Like, that's pretty much how they played the film. When in reality, you're right. Like, he could not have done what she did, especially in terms of the programming. And it reminded me of that movie, um, The First Kingsman. You know how, oh, uh, yeah. right? Andy pointed this out. I know. I knew Andy would know what I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, I forget the character name. <laughs> I well, it's but Eggsy's the big hero, and oh. the the other girl Kingsman is actually the one who like saves actually it. saves the day. Yeah. Yes, yes. And yeah. I think that's what bothered me. Like, not. There are there are little things about her character that I didn't like because it was in it was so exaggerated against what she was actually doing for the plot, and they didn't exaggerate those things that she was actually doing, like the programming and holding a gun to the guy with the helicopter, like these different things that made me really frustrated because at the end, Bond just swoops her up in his arms and starts to walk away with her, and it's like, God damn it, can you just like, can you just not? Like just once, <laughs> like she was actually really without her, they would the Russians would have killed you right at the beginning because she wouldn't have been able to point out who it was that actually destroyed everything. Like she was crucial through the whole thing, and then they kept reducing her, and then bringing her back, and reducing her, and bringing her back, and then over exaggerating certain things to compensate for the vagina. Like it just, I, 
<laughs> One of my favorite tweets that pops up every year was um, some guy was giving me shit during after one of our recordings of the two feminist moms podcast that I used to have. And I made a tweet that said, I have a vagina, not a learning disability. Please stop confusing the two. And it comes up all the time. And I'm like, that is how I feel about the women in these films. Like they, and it's in such contrast to how subtle they can allow James to be. And then they over-exaggerate the women and it just really frustrates me. Well, and then just the fact that like, I mean, in the opening sequence, you know, Bond is in the car with one woman and he tells her basically while he's chasing, you know, um, on a top where he's chasing her like, oh, she's actually going to be for later today, but you're for right now, basically. I'm like, what is this? Mm -hmm. Who wrote this? Oh my gosh. She is the next girl. Yep. Uh, and and one other one other thing that like I feel like we have to give Natalia credit for, she climbed up out of that wreckage of that satellite dish, and she got on a dog sled, and made it. We at least thirty miles. We know is the range before there was any any sort of electronic anything that worked in the cold of the middle of Siberia and then made it all the way to St. Petersburg and I'm like managed to get into a computer. Dogs open and wore it as a coat and like, like a total <laughs> badass. Smells better on the outside. She pulled a Han Solo with those yeah, dogs. Took it all That's the way pretty home. dark, Brooke. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like to think she just like found a nice house and like was able to but but yes sure she cut the sled, sled dogs open and like anyway <laughs> um but i mean that that is that is tough like um like siberian winters are nothing to fuck with so um good on good on natalia for that And with that, I froze the podcast to a, you know, complete. Well done. Well done. Thank you. Okay. Um, I said my so, uh, so let, let's, let's talk about other, other side characters though, that maybe, maybe we did like a little more. Um, who, what else or who else did. You got to start with like Boris. Everybody go into Alan Cummings all day long. Let's, let's talk about. I mean, because you could talk about Boris and Sean Bean, um, mm -hmm. even though they're a little stereotypical in the sense of a Bond villain. I'm, I mean, could you have cast those two roles any better? I don't think so. Definitely not in the mid '90s. You couldn't have. <laughs> um, that would have been rough. I, I mean, it I yeah. have already professed my love for Alan Cumming. So, oh, you he's know, so great. Obviously. As Boris, he's actually my fave side character in this film. Um, you know, accent aside, because it is not great again. <laughs> but, but uh, his performance—but it's fun. It's yeah, like, I mean, like it's, it's what you also would expect from a '90s film. So, like, right. So there's that. Down to the juvenile use of knockers as a password. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um. Yeah, I um, I I love. I love Alan Cumming as well. So I, I feel like even when he's in a 
terrible role like this, I, I still kind of love him. But otherwise, I wouldn't have cared. But speaking of casting, one thing that was very glaring to me was how white this cast was. Super um, white. And, and, and you know, here, here's the thing. I know some of it's set in, like, Russia, and there's a lot of Russians, and they're, of course they're going to be white. But Hunt for Red October, which we just reviewed la on the last podcast, was also very Russian, and they managed to fit in, and, and it didn't even feel like tokenism, but they did manage to fit in some really good black characters. And I feel like, okay, where were they here? You know, like... Even even a tokenism, they didn't even do that. I mean, can you remember a person of color? No, nope. There, no. it's yeah. like they, there definitely was not. But also, like to your point, like yes, it's in Russia, but also there are still people of color in Russia. <laughs> like it just doesn't yeah. make sense right. that there are only white people in this. Yeah. Well, and there's plenty of characters that could have that range. I mean, Joe Don Baker doesn't necessarily need to be, you, you know. A, what is he, Andy, a Texas gunslinger, or what is he supposed to be? In I there? don't know what he is. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Jack Wade. You've I got mean... all kinds of roles that can have that. It's ridiculous that you, 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 you know, you typecast them all the same movie after movie, right? Right. Well, I mean, right. you could have. Like 006, they could have made, I, and I love Sean Bean. I do. But they could have made him a person of color. I mean, yes, it would have been the, the one black person or, or Asian person or whatever would have been the villain. But at least they would have had a speaking role or a role at all. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's ways they could have done this. Right. Well, I, I mean, mean, they had plenty I'm, of options. Like, they could have made any of the characters a person of color if they wanted to. The the I mean, they just didn't. Like, right. I guess that's the reality, which they got better about in Pierce's kind of later films. Um, incorporating more, um, you know, people of color, but yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Next film we get Michelle Yeoh, so yeah, I mean, love, love her, her. Love her. Love her. We're already, Yeoh. yeah, already huge improvement, and it, yeah, I mean, they they sort of wrote themselves into a corner by saying that Alec Trevelyan is a Liansk Cossack. That's like, um, those are not only white people; they are white supremacists. Like, be super real about who the like Liansk Cossacks were and why they were fighting with uh, the Germans in World War II. So, um, not good guys at all. Uh, but, I mean, but there's no reason that they necessarily had to have, he had to have been a Liansk Cossack. He could have been something else. Uh, they could have given um, uh, Robbie Coltrane's um you know, role to, to someone else. Um, uh, Joe Don Baker. I mean, he's, he's playing this guy, Jack Wade, who is, I mean, they sort of sidelined Felix lighter after the, the shark attack in the last movie. And so they're like, Oh, okay, well, we'll, we'll have this other character, Jack Wade. They, you know, that could have been, you know, that could have been anyone, you know, it didn't, it didn't have to be uh, a white guy. And because we know that because, you know, five movies later, we've got uh, Felix Leiter being played by um, um, Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Wright. I, yeah, Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I don't know why I was brain Sorry, farting Jeffrey, there. If you're listening, we, we apologize. I do apologize because he is amazing. He um, is. You know, um, yeah, whoever the mid 90s version of that could have but that could have been anyone. And um, 
yeah, uh, again, I'll, I'll play the Russia card here. Having lived there, there are there are black people in Russia. Um, they are all Africans, but uh, there are black people in Russia. And you can, you know, there there could have been people within MI6 who were, uh, you know, various people of color as well. So well, it goes, no... it goes back to, Andy, the, the one thing you and I have always talked about. The best thing that could have happened is to have Idris Elba coming out of that tank rolling down St. Petersburg as a James Bond, oh right? That, that still to this day, best would be the best Bond you'll ever see ever. But I mean, un until then, I mean, I if you, don't I, I think mean, it'll happen. Unfortunately, It never will happen. It never will happen. And we, we pine for it on every podcast we do, hoping that Idris Elba will someday do it. Uh, side note to your point about Sean Bean, the two people they asked before him, Anthony Hopkins and Alan Rickman. So, mm. again, like you said, the, the casting just continued to be kind of the same. Alan Rickman, I, I love in everything, but he, he, I guess he said he was tired of playing bad guys. So, that would make sense. But, I mean, yeah, you could Sorry, Alan. <laughs> you could have gone, I mean, yeah. so many other um, other ways with that. It's it's interesting that they, 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 you know, they keep doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. They most certainly do. Um, but yeah, it's a very white movie and that remains something that, that sticks out, yeah. you know, for, for this time there's, you know, yeah, it's apparent. a choice. And, and apparently it's like to that point, Andy, you know, who is supposed to perform the theme song, the very first one before Bono and the edge wrote, the song on on at Goldeneye. Do you know who was supposed to be the theme song? No, I do not. Tell this, me this you're is gonna, going to you're going to roll Ace of Bass. No, it was, shut up. It, it was no. recorded the song. Um, it was I it renamed it the Juvenile. It's out on a different label, but it, it was going to be called the Goldeneye. But be, um, the lyrics were tomorrow's foe is now a friend. And it was replaced, and it's called The Juvenile on a later album of theirs. But going back to how wide is this movie, can you imagine if Ace of Base wow. had also done <laughs> Lord well, let's, let's talk about that theme song, because that, that is a great theme song. And, I mean, goddamn Tina Turner. Uh, <laughs> obviously amazing. Um, uh, Come on, not, Tina. Not not my most favorite Bond theme song. But it's not terrible. But it's a good one. Yeah. I really like it. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> I want to hear the huskiness in Tina's voice. I mean, she's like, you know, giving us what we it's need great. on this Bond song. It's great. Yeah. It really is. I mean, I feel like the flaws of this song are the fact that um, you can definitely hear that Bono and the Edge wrote it, especially when they get to the the bridge. It's like that is you two right yeah. there. The like, you'll never know how I watched you from the shadows. It's like, oh yeah, so, that's vintage, like mid nineties you two. Um, but the th what's great about it is Altina, and and it's for that part. I I think it's great. So this is the only Bond song that doesn't use the James Bond kind of lilt, right? Because they were all, they were like neighbors 
and they went over to Tina Turner's house and Edge was playing it on at Tina Turner's house and she just came up with the lyrics for it or something along those lines that's what I remember the story being is they were just hanging out in the south of France and um, all pulled this song together um, and, and that's why it doesn't follow the same trajectory because they, they kind of came in and said will you use this for the for the theme well the music is kind of all over the place in this movie I mean it 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 sounds like um, you know sort of tonal uh, you know, it's, it's not a traditional score yeah 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 mid 80s Depeche Mode working on the pipeline uh, lots of banging on things and making cool ambient sounds um, which is super atmospheric but it's not like melodic um and yeah the only the only piece of the you know normal bond uh thing in the song is you get a little of the do 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 and that's it and it's it's very very background that's uh you know very much a sort of made out of whole cloth song which is again nice it felt like again this movie was trying to set itself apart and be like okay old bond yes and this is this is what we are now this is what we're doing and here's how it's different and um i think the theme song uh the theme song set that apart and i think the opening um the the opening action sequence really set that up too i mean they they start off the movie with him bungee jumping off of this dam and end with him jumping into a plane. It's like they've got, it's like a little bit of Goldfinger in there with like infiltrating the facility. There's a little bit of um, Moonraker and the aerial stunts. And then this totally nineties thing, like bungee jumping. Um, it's, it's very specific. And um, again, I think it, I mean, it was a good way to set the film apart, like just in the first 30 seconds and in the first five minutes. You're getting really good at that, Andy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, geez, no one has a response to that. Okay, back to the theme song. What else do people think about the theme song? I, I did like the bungee jump from the very beginning. Yes. I really liked how he flattened out as he was falling. Like, the, just watching the way that the aerodynamics and gravity of that worked was, like, really interesting to me. Yeah, that's probably my favorite scene, actually. He jumps yeah. off. I'm like, what a dynamic start. And then it goes downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, there was in the first five minutes. Damn it. That bond. Yeah. Andy always knows what my favorite scenes in these movies are. If you can turn a semi on its side or drive a tank through something, you, you always have my vote. Well, no wonder you liked this one. Yeah. Well, that's, oh, yeah. I mean, literally, that's the whole film, basically. That's really <laughs> the only part that's worth paying attention to in terms of the action sequence. Because like you said, his fight his fight scenes are really weird. He's, a, he's such a weird fighter. Yeah. Because he's too elegant. You can say it. You can say bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, I you're right. I still want to know and, how she, she I mean, broke but, a rib. And, and I do... She broke a rib in the sauna fight. Really? Wow. Yeah, supposedly um, she broke a rib. But, I don't know if that's because he's such a bad fighter, but anyway. Poor Fomka. Jeez, no one should have to go through that for this movie. Um, but... <laughs> You know, break a rib doing Mad Max Fury Road. It's like, whoa, yeah, well, you really sense. like, right. you really did something. But, you know, um, Goldeneye, it's like, oh, man, I hope the I hope the union paid for that through workers comp like really well. <laughs> um, so but but I agree with you on the tank. And, and I do agree that like. That is my favorite part of the movie, and I do sort of feel like, like the first half of the movie, I'm like, okay, when are they getting to the tank? When are they getting to the tank? Okay, it's the tank. It's tank time now. Okay. Um, yeah, the rest of this movie isn't as good, but you know, the tank. Come on, the tank scene. I just, I don't know. That was, that's that's still one of my favorite like Bond action scenes. It's just. And I'll admit it, it's so dumb, and that's one of the reasons why I like it. It's super dumb. But I mean, I but we know, like, honestly, that's why we watch these films, right? Like, we're watching for the action sequences. We are generally, again, of course, not watching for the dialogue. You want to see some explosions. You want to see some great fight scenes. You just want to see things that um, are impossible, really. I mean, that's why I watch Bond movies. Right. Good call. Um, any any other favorite things, least favorite things folks want to talk about before we get into our normal stuff? What have we missed? Um, I There was something that kind of confused me a little from the opening sequence, um, which maybe it's just me or I'm overthinking it because I tend to overthink things. But so 006 fakes his death right in the sean bean fakes his death in that opening scene right and right um so the russian general what's what's his name i'm so bad with names. oromov oromov okay so um he fake kills him but bond thinks it's real and and then they proceed to try to kill bond right so what was the point in faking his death uh Sean Bean's death if they were just going to kill Bond anyway because to me the only reason to kill him performatively in front of Bond is so that Bond will go back to MI6 and say 006 is dead right but if they're just going to kill Bond as well then what was the point of killing Sean Bean do you understand what I'm saying am I I don't know you're if right I mean right. yeah that really like, confused me I was like uh, plot hole? I I don't understand. Can somebody explain, or am I overthinking this? Well, consistency no. in plot is not really important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you are overthinking it because this is not a, that movie. Like, it's True. it's not that smart. Let's see, but I don't know. Everybody says this is such a great movie. It got great reviews. Everybody's so excited. It reinvigorated. We even somebody here even said it reinvigorated the bond franchise yep but yet there's all these things that like this i'm like mm, you know is that all it takes to reinvigorate the entire franchise really yep. um, 
Yeah, it really does. That's really it. <laughs> I mean, come on. You, Melissa, you, you saw License to Kill. To come on. They... <laughs> um, yes, I saw that. Um, I recall not disliking it as much as everybody else maybe in some parts but i I don't know um i i it just bothered me it's it's right at the beginning um when he comes back later it it just like yeah okay it's supposed to be the big scene when he comes out of the shadows which by the way the playfulness of light and shadows and a lot of scenes in this movie is really great like the direction was really good in this movie. I got to say, that's one of the main things it had going for it. Like, um, like there was this one scene where like Bond came down a staircase and, and sometimes you saw him and sometimes you didn't with the light and the shadows. I mean, it just really good. Or maybe that's cinematography maybe is that is better way to explain it. But, um, uh, but crap. Now I forgot. <laughs> I lost track of what I was trying to say. Uh, probably because I was overthinking something. Um, but uh, what was I trying to say? Shit, I don't know. I no, guess well, I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> you're you're right. I mean, uh, oh, there is. I was saying when he came back later and we found out he was alive, he comes out of the shadows. It wasn't so much shocking. I know. I think that was supposed to be the big like plot twist. Yeah, and and instead, I was like, what? You know, because it automatically didn't make sense to me. You know, I because they tried to kill Bond, and, and so what was the point of killing him too, or, or pretending to kill him? So it, that it took away the shock or the surprise factor for the big plot twist in my eyes. So it was more than just you know setting up the movie at the very beginning to be confusing. It was like it just took away from what was supposed to be the most surprising part. So that and that's never good. You know what I'm saying when 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 that happens. Sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm wondering if he pretended to kill him at the beginning to get Bond to surrender, and then they could shoot him. But he didn't account for Bond blowing up the whole factory and then burning his face. So that's a, that's why I thought he did it was to get him. Oh, to get him. Okay. that makes sense. But yeah, mm. I can I can go there with you. All right. Okay. Yeah. Um. And if that's not what they intended, you can call me for the next script where I will write it in my sleep (laughs) with Andy like we promised. Oh my gosh. Um, Maybe you put microchips in their blood that would let everyone know when each of the agents dies. I mean, there you go. Gotta wait eight movies for that, Brooke. Never mind. mind. He didn't actually die, so it wouldn't have sent him the message anyway, so whatever. Right. I'm with you, Melissa. Whatever. Yeah. You're the champion. All right. Uh, any <laughs> any other general things on Goldeneye? Mm. No. Okay. Let's um let's move in and let's talk about the box office for this movie. Uh, this film grossed two hundred or excuse me a hundred and six point. Four million dollars at the domestic box office. Uh, it was released on uh, the 17th of November in 1995. Um, so Bond back again uh, in uh, November releases where they will continue uh, basically through now. And um, that 106.4 
uh, that equals in, in inflation adjusted dollars uh, to 222.4 million. So for context, uh, if that would have come out last year, that would have been the number 11 movie of the year right between Jumanji and It Chapter 2. So um, a big, big, big movie. And again, remembering last year was a weird year because we had like $4 billion movies at the top of the box office that um, sort of uh, sucked up everything. Um, and just think so, how much more money they would have made had they not wasted 90,000 cans of Perrier in the tank scene. What? Don't, don't you remember it runs? Remember it crashes through the Perrier truck? Oh, that's right. Oh, okay. It was, it was legitimately 90,000 cans of Perrier that they wasted. Those are not cheap, Andy. Those are not. Oh that could have saved them at least 85,000. That's crazy. That must that must have been product placement because Russians do love mineral water, but they do not drink Perrier. So that that shit was imported. Like somebody's like, "Oh, we got to we got to get Perrier, I guess." I wonder how much they paid for that. Um, but yes, uh weird. Anyway, so it made that made a bunch of money. Um and is Still one of the top grossing uh, Bond movies of all time, especially when you um, when you adjust for inflation. Uh, and adjust for Perrier. And adjust for Perrier. Um, that being said, let's go into studio notes. If you were given this film in any step of its development, uh, a, a script, an early cut, and you had carte blanche to do anything you wanted with it. Uh, what would you do? I think we've we've probably talked about some of the things that we I might want to. But... Score in some of it, particularly like you you pointed out the car scene, the car chase towards the beginning of the film between Zinnia and Bond. That mm -hmm. music, the background music playing during that. It reminded me of like a really old, like circa 1989 or so video game. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just like, ugh, it really takes you out of a scene when, when it's just so mismatched and bad. And I feel like on and off, the music was pretty bad overall. And I'm not talking about the theme song. Okay. I mean, that was, that was okay. And you know, it, it was all right. I love Tina Turner. Um, but but it was it was okay. Um, but I'm talking like the the background music, you know. It right. It's in some of the scenes, but particularly the car chase was the one I wrote down because it just oh that was uh it, that was bad. Yeah. Um, I, JB, we haven't mentioned this on the podcast, but I know both you and I have a you know a special place in our heart for the score only because it is recreated so faithfully in the video game that we have we've heard this music way too much that doesn't make it good it's just you know there and he does it again ladies and gentlemen jb <laughs> i are you there i am going to go with i would hire some women writers to help um flesh out these characters a bit more 
Um, and then also spend, I, I would double, maybe even triple the amount of time and money um, for, for Pierce to get a true fight sequence trainer. I mean, I don't know what happened there, but um, let's get him some additional time with uh, the fight trainers. Yeah, he, he needed a choreographer badly. Yeah, we, we just need something else. Um, a little bit more time, because I'm pretty sure they hired one. But, you know, let's spend a full year maybe training. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also wrote down, you know, uh, the second time Sean Bean dies, he like he falls down. Um, and and when when he falls when he lands it's so visceral because they really show him landing and like his legs and bones kind of twisting, you know that scene, y'all. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. That's the first time I remember seeing something so graphic in a Bond movie, and, and I might be wrong because I haven't seen like the really early ones, but the ones made in the sixties, I doubt they got that graphic, right? Um, because you know the standards were different, but but mm -hmm. that was like, whoa! I mean, you could hear it and feel it and again i think that goes to the direction of the movie you know which i thought overall was really good but i i like it almost felt like grounding in a way because there, sometimes james bond can get ridiculous like with the stunts like I, I thought that the one where he parachuted into the nose diving airplane was stupid like i that was just bad you know um so when there's really unbelievable stunts like that, I think when you have something so visceral, like his landing, like he did and hearing it, I mean, you could almost hear like the bones crunching and everything. Um, that was grounding. It, it brought you back into the movie in, in a realistic, albeit jarring way. So I would say more of that, like in the future. And that's not necessarily a studio note just for this movie, but like, you know, something like that, I think it, it you remember it because it's so kind of unbond, you know? No, agree. Yeah. That's uh, pretty brutal. And then, and then they, uh, you know, let him get impaled by <laughs> flaming wreckage on top of it. It's like, because <laughs> no. he's not only merely dead, he's really most sincerely dead. And, uh, ultra kill him. I always feel so, like the first round of the script, they were like, we could bring him back. And then someone came and rewrote it and said, no, nah, we're going to go ahead and impale him with the satellite. Like, oh, I guess he's not coming back. Right. It's almost like he died three times instead of two. Because he should have really been dead after that fall. I, like how he was still alive, I don't know. Yeah, there's no way. Or even yeah. even conscious. Come on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So... Yeah, so I oh. expect a really violent death there. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and speaking, because that was a, a film that this observatory in Puerto Rico, and I posted in the Facebook, um, on the Facebook page for the podcast that uh, yeah. that observatory uh, is temporarily closed and hopefully not permanently, but um, apparently a cable snapped and there's like this thousand foot reflector for a telescope that and it took out like a hundred feet of it with this cable snapping or something and this is like an observatory that's been through because it's in puerto rico so it's been through earthquakes through hurricanes tropical storms and 
was fine. It came out fine. And then all of a sudden this just happened. So I blame the podcast in a way. I, I don't know how <laughs> it has something to do with it. <laughs> and I blame the podcast for putting Mark that in my speed. Oh, Marco. Yeah, well, he's not here. So we can we can just dogpile on him like that. Yeah, <laughs> Let's do, it's his fault. I, I definitely, it's definitely on brand for 2020. That's something that, you know, survived the, the hurricane season that, um, that Puerto Rico went through a couple of years ago. And then it's like, Oh, a cable snapped in 2020 and it's down. So I wonder if somebody yeah. threw paper towels at it, oh. like, you know, <laughs> here you go. Yes. <laughs> Good reference. Right. Like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's uh, super tragic too. And I mean, hopefully they will be able to get it up and running because, um, they actually do a lot of like big, important research out, out of there. And, um, in conjunction with like the university of central Florida, yeah, who actually funny. like owns half the array. So right? like, Isn't that weird? Really? I didn't realize yeah. That. yeah, yeah, big deal. Yeah, it's, it's owned by one of the universities in Puerto Rico and by um, the Florida University System. So there you go. Um, yeah, I interesting, interesting stuff about about that, uh, that filming location. Uh, and let's hope we get it fixed. Um, all right. Any other studio notes besides uh, fix the uh, satellite location? Uh, I will I will go ahead and add I think it's uh, implied by what we said before but you know add add more of the racial diversity into the cast um, and another pass at the script could not have hurt um, especially as as Kay mentioned by women I mean that's kind of I, I feel like you could say that about pretty much anything but uh, <laughs> still makes it true pretty much every film script like you're yeah. like uh this could probably take another pass you know yeah yep i mean by by women and by women of color like yeah. get them get them on that um so. andy do you feel like this plot was more simplistic than your standard bond film and that's why i mean because i think in other bond films we have a ton more studio notes just in the sense of things that didn't go well um I mean, this one was pretty straightforward. It's like Martin Campbell did a fine job. I don't, I don't know that there was enough plot to make a ton of holes out of, right? It's not. Right. It's not like oh, I mean, the only thing I was confused about is how many of these damn golden eyes are there, right? Because they just kept popping out of right. everywhere. Um, but I was thinking about that. Going, I mean, the all, the things we've already brought up are all really, really solid notes that would have made the movie a ton better but i'm thinking of the plot going i mean maybe the train doesn't blow up when it runs into the tank in real life like what what else would i have fixed i don't i don't know it was it just seemed like it was pretty straightforward yeah i mean at that point i mean they needed the train to stop so that they had a reason to move the plot along to cuba um you know they couldn't have like, because if they would have just stayed hanging out on the train, then they would have, you know, uh, never, never gotten to that next set. It would have so been they... under siege two, which nobody wanted. <laughs> nobody wants under siege two. Definitely not. Um. So, 
yeah, uh, I mean, I I think that the the plot is not necessarily the issue. Um, it's a, you know, it's pretty simple. Um, you I know, think it's, it's the it's character in... development. Exactly. Or lack thereof. Ex yeah. Exactly. No, like exactly. that's what needs the most adjusting. Right. Right. That's absolutely it. I think the plot is more or less there. Um, but I mean, if you if you didn't know who James Bond was from this movie, um, I mean, you I don't know that you would have like. I I mean, I guess it's actually kind of interesting that I'm like this was my first Bond movie, and I'm like, oh okay, I get this character. I think it's because there must have been like a certain amount of cultural osmosis that I already knew who James Bond was because he's not really developed as a character that much in this. Um, other than when, you know, M really sticks it to him um, pretty early in the movie, which was so satisfying. That is such a good scene. <laughs> yes. That is such a good scene. Oh, I mean, yeah. I know Judy Dench got her Oscar for Shakespeare in Love a couple of years later, but like this was you know on on the same level it's just you know she came in and like up this movie to another level for like the three minutes she was here uh by totally skewering bond and being like yeah you're a cold war dinosaur and, and, and i i do want to say for all the the uh grief i gave the movie earlier about the lack of of diversity the fact that they took a chance and made m a woman I give them full credit for that because that was a pretty gutsy move. And there's part of me that wonders, like, because I feel like the 90s was a very incremental decade. Like, there was progress, but it was so slow. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And, and so I'm wondering, like, they went way out of their comfort zone making M into a woman. Maybe that's why there was no other diversity. Like, they were scared to take too many risks or something. I, I'm not saying that would be okay. It's still not okay. But I... I have to wonder if that is something along that lines was their reasoning for not doing it or, or was it just pure laziness and racism, which, you know, it could be all three, who knows. But um, the fact that they made her, I mean, cause I, I said that this is a movie that should have been like an eight or even a nine, but I gave it like a six, 6.5. This would have been a four if it wasn't for Judy Dench. I got to say mm. he, and she wasn't even in that many scenes. You know what I'm saying? Nope. Like, she was only what four or five scenes, maybe. I maybe if that, you know. But she yeah. was just so good in them, you know. Also, one other thing about her. Okay, so you know where what's his face? I don't remember the name of the guy. And Bond are they're like joking and they call her the evil queen of numbers. Mm -hmm. You couldn't come up with a better name for her, really? Evil queen of numbers. I mean, I know they're British and British is supposed to be polite or whatever, but. Come on. That's a terrible name. All their cleverness goes into seducing women. <laughs> I will say my favorite, because I know we're getting there, Andy, but because she mentioned um, the dame and all of her glory for the five scenes that she was in, um, I will say she definitely had the best uh, quote for me. When she goes, unlike the American government, we prefer not to get our bad news from CNN. <laughs> I do. So good. Yes. Yeah, That's I've mentioned, the best line. 
I, I've mentioned in a previous podcast that some of these movies are very like anti-American and pro pro Union Jack, like really rah rah England. And and when she said that, I was like, oh, see, we're starting again. <laughs> yep. It's typical Bond fashion, but I loved it. I mean, her I delivery was classic. Yeah, I I thought that was great. And I mean, it did set up this this new thing that without without saying it too much. Um, and again, this goes back to my idea that this is like a deconstruction of Bond is, you know, saying, oh, your time is past. You don't we don't actually have a use for you anymore because we're using, you know, um, all of these advanced statistical methods to try to be like, oh, well, the probability that this happened is like 40%. So we're just not going to allocate resources to that. And it's like, that's actually, I mean, I guess you can make an argument for it, but in some ways, like the point of this movie is that's a really shitty way to run intelligence. And, um, you know, there, therefore that's why we need, you know, the guy, the guy in the field, um, like bond to, uh, to make those calls or whatever. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's an interesting question. I don't, I mean, this isn't the movie that should answer it. Um, but I mean, I, they set that up and I think they set it up fairly well to be like, you know, what are the, the stakes of their relationship? This isn't just, you know, um, you know, the old M who's like, concern it bond you and your crazy ways, but you know, keep doing what you're doing. It's like, no, you know what? I don't like you. And I don't think that what you do is valuable, but you're still a human being and I value that. And so please don't die. I'm like, Oh, that's like very nice and very nuanced. I'll take it. And Andy screeches the podcast to a halt. Again. <laughs> More studio notes. I'm doing this on purpose by this point. Andy, just like, I might have something to say, but I'm not going to say it. Cause I just, I think it's funny. <laughs> Thank you. It You're is welcome. funny. Just leave me hanging. <laughs> any any other studio notes? This movie was voted the best marketed film of 1995. Oh. Which what makes it I don't even remember what other movies. Same. <laughs> what, what uh, like, I was like 19 and I had started like partying and drinking and doing a few drugs. So there's a little lost years in here. That's probably why I barely remember the movie. Or uh, I couldn't I tell heard you. Three, I remember uh, Apollo 13, seven, which I saw at the theater way too many times. Waterworld, which led oh. to my favorite Simpsons meme ever. Um, I think Braveheart, right, Andy? Um, I think Braveheart was the year before. Um, I, I Googled this. Uh, we got Crimson Tide. So Denzel finally showed up for you here, <laughs> Melissa. Um, Batman Forever, Showgirls. Oh, yeah. oh, Showgirls. Way better than yeah. people gave it credit for. Yeah. Uh, Empire Records, Brooke. Um, 12 Monkeys, Clueless. Johnny Mnemonic, oh, yeah. Apollo 13. Usual suspect, Heat. right? 
Oh, he. Desperado, oh. Mall Rats, Billy Madison, Tommy Boy. Get Shorty, which is one of my favorite films. Usual Suspects, uh, another one of mine. Yeah. Uh, and this was the best well, market. Who voted on this as the best marketed one? Well, right. yeah. I mean, people I, I, who I, like marketing. Yeah. <laughs> it was probably a marketing. You had to click on a marketing. You had to click on an AOL ad after you <laughs> dialed in through your dial-up modem. You yeah, got after, mail after you loaded it up from one of those million discs that That's like were from the nineties. Y'all remember those AOL discs? They oh, were yeah. Oh, yeah. everywhere. Oh my god. Oh yeah. Get your ten free hours. There were some good movies in '95. Friday. I've I've seen all those movies. I think just Jumanji. Jumanji came out in '95. Yep. Um, Yeah. Outbreak. Outbreak, which is surprisingly relevant. And seven. Yep. Seven. Major major pain. Major pain was good too. Tank Girl, Andy's favorite film. (laughs) Um, Tommy Boy. Bad Boys, which also had Jackie Karoff, who was the Russian guy, the guy that got shot by the general. He was the bad guy in Bad Boys. Um, oh, there's all kinds of French Kiss. Wow. Oh, oh wow. What a good one. Yeah. Um, my favorite movie of 1995, The American President. Oh, excellent so, choice. It's a very Andy movie. That is yes. the also most tank. Andy movie. Also Tank Girl, but I forgive you. Also Tank Girl. And Congo, no, I you loved. <laughs> yes, Congo, I really loved. We mentioned last week. How did we mention this movie twice in a row now? <laughs> Jesus. The power of Tim Curry. Oh, hey, Under Siege 2 came out in 95. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> Oh, no. oh well, and and you were you were right. Braveheart was ninety five, not ninety four. Oh, okay, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So uh, the best marketed, I don't know. Like, I mean, how sure. do you how do you beat Mortal Kombat? That movie was all over the place in ninety five. But interesting. Um, by having a kick ass Nintendo sixty four game, <laughs> that's where that's where it's at. Well, you know what it is. I bet whoever votes for this stuff, and I don't mean to keep taking it back to race, but I bet if it's a bunch of stuffy old white marketing executives, totally. That's why. That's why. Yeah. yeah. No. Totally why. All right. Um, moving right along. Uh, best tech or gadget. From this movie not as not as much tech or gadgets in this movie uh um, there was it wasn't like pen. extraordinary but the pen though the pen. Yeah, the pen. Yeah. The pen. that was a really tense because. moment with alan coming yep it's a good very good one and Anything also else? because pierce says the writing's on the wall and i'm like I like that they gave Q a little jokes, a few jokes during that gadget scene, you know, Mm -hmm. because he's just kind of stiff upper lip British dude. I enjoyed that they did that, even though the stiff one was Bond, I think, even as he joked, it was kind of the delivery was a little, you know, stiff. But but uh, Q is another place where they could have easily added some color to this movie. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, cast, the cast was great. 
when he shot when all he the, had the the rocket in the cast, all those yeah yeah all those jokes, and all the all the people in the background who keep having like horrible things happen to them, the like airbag like, in the phone booth, exactly. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So speaking of that scene, my favorite tech or gadget was. Don't touch that. That's my lunch. <laughs> That's the 15 the foot sandwich. subway sandwich. <laughs> yeah, the giant sandwich. Like, good on you, Q. That's a good piece of tech right there. Get some meat and some vegetables in between two pieces of bread. That's good technology. Uh, any other tech or gadgets that people liked? Okay, best one-liners or quotes. We've already said a couple of them. Um, we can bring them back here, of course, obviously. Well, unlike the American government, that was that was my favorite throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Kay. Um, my my favorite is, of course, I am invincible. You do love that one. <laughs> I do love that one. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, Andy, I'm really surprised your favorite quote was not, oh, what was it? England is about to learn the cost of betrayal inflation adjusted for 1945. <laughs> I thought that was, you would have loved that. Yes. Because <laughs> yes, every bad guy's was... like, inflation adjusted. Wah, 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 wah. One billion dollars. No. Uh, yeah. Um, no, my... Um, my other favorite uh oh and now i lost it um what you, are what are other folks favorite, favorite i know you lines? liked the because if i want sarcasm i'll talk to my children thank you very much i, I did like yeah, that. yeah that was, that's good one. yeah that was and we already talked about the sexist misogynist dinosaur i love that one that's a great line um, I, I basically liked uh, all of Judy Dench's lines. Like, I even loved it when she says, "I have no compunction about sending you to your death." Like, I mean, you want to talk about setting the new world order? You know what I mean? She did that so well in that scene because she just established herself, told Bond how it was going to be, and didn't take his shit. You know, I mean, she didn't even have cognac for him; she had bourbon, which is far superior, by the way, to cognac. But you know, she she really established who she was and what, how Bond was going to be from now on using just her words. You know, she didn't have to be like one of those badasses, like, like Xenia who uses her legs, apparently, um, you know, uh, who fights or has to shoot things or be an action hero. She just, she, she sets it with just her words. And I love that about her. So pretty much all her quotes, but in particular, the sexist misogynist dinosaur, because yes, that's, what Bond kind of felt like, especially through the Moore era. Good God. Yes, indeedy. Ooh, I, I did it this time. Yay, you're not... Anything <laughs> else? No, I'm giving space for other people. Anyone else? Any other? Okay. This is all just showing um, how much Mark talks. <laughs> <laughs> Those Italians. Mark's we the space you, filler. Mark. We love you. Uh, <laughs> Best side characters. I had to look this name up. I, I'm going to say Irina is her name. I didn't know her name because we never learned it, but that is the mini driver character that we were talking about earlier. So short, but I, I just love mini drivers. So I'm going to say her. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm surprised that you said they had to dub her singing badly, um, JB, because if y'all have ever seen The Phantom of the Opera, the movie from mm-hmm. mid right. or so, late aughts, she sang very bad because she was supposed to, not because she's right. a bad singer, but because her character was supposed to be this horrifyingly bad singer. So she knows how to sing badly. So I don't understand why uh, they had to do that. But yeah, I'm going to say her just because I love Minnie Driver so much. Maybe she learned to sing badly after this because she was so pissed off. <laughs> yeah, you'll never dub me again. <laughs> I'll never do this dubbing process ever again. I mean, mine's Boris, of course. Yeah, so. same. Boris, number one with a bullet, Boris. I mean, I, I've enjoyed every Fonka Johnson movie that I've seen uh, that... I mean, except some of the X-Men, which were terrible, but I, I always, I think she does great. So she, she might be mine. Sean Bean dying in every film, still consistent, (laughs) always a plus, but I, I did. I like Fomka. That's, that, that would be mine. We're, we're fond of Fomka. Yep. Um, And of course, Boris. I mean, yeah, we mentioned Alan Cumming before. And I kind of like the new Money Penny. There was only like, I think she was only in one scene. Mm-hmm. But I feel like she sort of put Bond in his place a little bit. So, you know, I mean, she wasn't like the usual flirty, like, oh, I hope he sends me flowers or takes me on a date or something. You know what I mean? Like, I, right. I just like her a little better. I wish there was more of her. Yeah, I, I like the he's she's like, you know, this this could count as sexual harassment. And yeah, he's like, exactly. oh, what's the penalty for that? And she's like, someday you're going to have to like follow make, up on all that innuendo. innuendos or make good on your innuendo that's the line yeah i like i like zukovsky too i always i mean i like zukovsky i like that we get more zukovsky too i yeah, like that they bring more. robbie coltrane back in another yeah. couple movies yeah i think i think he's he's fun he's also a good side character it's always good to have the the bad guy slash you know the helpful bad guy who tries to get evil back to a manageable level i guess yeah you know, there's there's lawful evil and there's chaotic evil, and That's you right. gotta you know you you gotta play with the lawful evil guys every once in a while. So, yeah, Brooke, how does this movie deal with the Poseidon theory? Do you think this proves it or disproves it, or well, neither? I mean, there's a giant satellite that comes out of the water and then he kills him for good. So. I'm gonna go with we're we're solid here. Yeah, I'm. It doesn't kill him any other time. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the just a solid wash. I because I don't I don't know. There's not a lot of water in this. The oh, whole time he's driving the tank, he's driving right next to a river. Yeah, tank. I don't know. Tank Poseidon. He's like adjacent to water. I don't know if that's. I mean, so is half of Aquaman. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. There are no sharks, so that's a little disappointing. But other than the no sharks, manageable. I mean, Russia's frozen water, right? Just like all. Yeah, well, I mean, except for the, you know, the. (laughs) I can't remember the name of the river in in Saint Petersburg, but the canals, you know, yeah, that's all water. 
and it yeah. was liquid at the time. So, you know, sure. All right. Um, okay. That's that's it. Is this a good Bond movie or is this a bad Bond movie? What's what's everyone's vote? I say good Bond movie. Mediocre. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going to go with bad. But I mean, as you guys know, I've been on a journey. So, you know, rewatching it, I was like, ooh, this does not hold up for me. Okay. So, yeah, I'm going to go with bad. Okay. I'm going to go with the better Bond movie. Better than the Moors for sure, but I like I, it's still a good one to me. And Andy, you know, I think this is one of the three that you would have someone watch to describe what a Bond film is. So, mm -hmm. does that make it a great Bond movie? Not necessarily, but does it make it an epitome of a Bond movie, whether that's good, bad, or indifferent? I think it does. I that do love that all of us agree that the more films are bad, though. Oh, ch ch <laughs> Nobody likes them, so I appreciate that. <laughs> and there's just well, so many of them, too. Oh, yeah, they kept coming. <laughs> well, Mark's, Mark's not here to make the defense for them, so we'll just... And neither is John. Good. Yeah, we'll just we got rid rip of on them while while they're not here. Well, there's some nostalgia for me, just like with you with this film. This was your first film, Andy. I mean, I started right. with Octopussy, and I still stand the at the crocodile submersible submarine thingy. You know what I mean? So like, there's mm -hmm. there's some good stuff there, but mostly they're just bad and misogynistic. Yeah, but but I understand the draw though. Like, I probably don't hate them as much as others just because of like the nostalgia factor but of course when i first saw them i didn't look at them with the lens that i look at them now so i liked them a lot better back then right you know yeah absolutely and then the final question the question of the podcast is james bond a good person or a bad person in this movie um I think he is a completely neutral person. Yeah, he, in this yeah. movie, I don't I think he's either one way or the other. He's just That's doing. What I was gonna say. He's just there. He's, yeah. he's kind of in the middle in this film. He's doing it for God and country, or something. Yeah. He's doing what he has to do. Yeah, and uh, you know. That's mostly for his country, but also mostly for the women. So, <laughs> and the sandwich. Right. <laughs> and the fast yeah. cars. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> Brooke, Melissa, where do you come down? Same or? I think he's definitely not as bad as he has been in other ones. Yeah. Um, but I mean, not 006. did not sexually assault someone in this movie is, is the lowest of bars. So, right. you know. Right. And agreed, agreed, Brooke. He is much better than 006 that is for sure <laughs> yes yes yeah I, i'm i'm with you guys i i i guess you were mostly in agreement here is that it, he's neither good or bad he's just sort of doing his job and occasionally it felt like he was just going through the motions you know um uh, you know and that's in contrast i think to the dalton movies where he made decisions based on what we can assume are his uh morals you know what I'm saying? Um, he, he like quitting MI6 at one point, you know, not shooting the violin player or the cello player rather, 
um, you know, he did actually do some moral things. I don't see any morality at all from this Bond so far. Um, so he's just sort of in the middle, just doing his job. Yeah, absolutely. I do feel like it was a little bit of a moral choice to save uh, Natalia instead of shooting 006 and Sinya. Like, like in that moment, he could have let them kill her, and he chose her over the mission, which is I a felt bit like of a moral. He chose his penis over the mission, maybe a little there. You know, the uh, magic bond penis. I don't know. I just yeah. feel like he wasn't that into her yet. Hmm. He's he's always into anyone. It's like, do you have a pulse <laughs> and a vagina? Yeah. I'm into you. I was just about to say, like his standards are pretty low like it's pretty much like ooh, there's a woman i'm in yeah so um cute russian programmer girl i think yeah um yeah is i mean that may be the only like moral decision he makes in the entire um in the entire movie but then he tells her like the rule is always call their bluff and um, so, you know, maybe that's just part of his training and it yeah. wasn't really like a Playing major moral thing. It's just like, this is, this is how we do the game. He is less moral than he is statistical. Uh, yes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> the odds favor calling the bluff, right? Right. So here we go. All right. Um, well, that's it for for Goldeneye. Uh, this was a great discussion. Um, Kay, thank you so much for being here and um, you know being you know uh, being the the contrarian and you know telling us where we're wrong here. Um, you know, I really appreciate everything that that you brought here because otherwise, I think we would have just been like. Oh man, you didn't want to see like the group chat between me and Mark and JB of like how much we love this movie. Well, thanks for having so. me. I mean, I know, you know, having watched it the first time, obviously years ago, I was like, oh, but then rewatching as you get older, things change, man. You're like, oh no. We've got to have her back to die another day so we can all just go, uh, and she's going die another day. And I can be like, come on, guys. Michelle and Hallie, come on. And you guys are going to be like, okay, yeah. Oh, but everything else. Right. (laughs) No, that would be awesome. No, it was great. I mean, all of you add such great insight to, um, Andy and I laugh about it a lot. We have that um, high school flashback to some of these movies that we watched it so it's always great to have uh, people who watched at different time points and with different mindsets so it's it's great yeah um Kay tell us where tell everyone where they can find you and what uh they should be what they should be checking out yeah sure so um on twitter and instagram uh, my handle is at the lady k-a-y-b um, and whew, right now, people should be watching Lovecraft Country. It just premiered last night on HBO. Yes. Yes. Um, I have seen the first five. Um, I can say without a shadow of a doubt that I have no idea where the show is going. And that is the draw, like in the most intriguing way. 
Um, so I have some additional interviews coming out with the cast um, over the course of the next several weeks. And then I also guest on a live after show occasionally. So we did our first one last night and it's still up on YouTube and I'm doing another one um, next Sunday night as well. Um, so yeah, Lovecraft Country for sure. And also I just finished season one of Stargirl. So wow all right so good i have thoughts but yes um yeah and then oh the boys season two is about to come out and i have watched the first half of that and it's wild per usual um so yes yes just everyone watch but also be prepared because it is insane I can only imagine where that is going. Oh, God. Uh, the little bits that I've seen, I'm just like, oh. You haven't finished it, Andy? Wow. Uh, no, I'm not. Well, I'm, I'm halfway through the first season, um, but the bits that I've seen of the upcoming season, the, oh, just like okay. the ads and things, yeah. I'm just like. Oh, gosh. It is. Yeah, there is. It's one of those shows where you never can truly predict where it's going to go. Like, I just, I feel like every season of The Boys, you're like, what? But I can say that um, Giancarlo Esposito, whoo, chef's kiss. Like, a great addition to season two, for sure. He he does that to everything, though. I feel like that is his, like, greatest gift. He shows up in everything and, like, immediately elevates it. Um, yes. Like, uh, oh, the... Um, it wasn't the Hunger Games. It was the Maze Runner movies. He has this like bit part in the second and third one, and it's just like, wow! For fifteen minutes, these movies got really good. <laughs> and, like, I'm like, bring back Giancarlo Esposito. He was amazing. Like, let's I mean, let's do his more of that. Talent literally knows no bounds. Like, it's wild to have someone that's so talented. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's absolutely amazing. Um, so next week on this podcast, uh, we are taking we are going to take a three week break from James Bond before we get back to Tomorrow Never Dies, uh, because here's what we've got next. Next, we have Sean Connery in The Rock, which is if James Bond was once imprisoned on Alcatraz. And has to help Nicolas Cage break back in. Um, so that's why we're watching that movie. Then we're Some going of to watch. the greatest one-liners ever. I can't even watch, wait to see that again. Oh, oh man. The, I that movie have has not several. seen this. So. Oh, my God. Never? No. I've never seen The Rock. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, never. Wow. Oh, laser discs. It's, it's um, wild. It's. It's Michael Bay before Michael Bay became a self-parody. There was like a little bit of like a voice and an auteurship in yeah. this movie. And it's, it's like, like, it's like, I learned a lot of mistakes from bad boys. I'm going to clean it up and have a, a little bit better setup. So, yeah, it's, and it's, it's just insane. So they're being intrigued. Where can I watch? <laughs> um, where can you watch The Rock? That's a good I question. On, I thought it was on Netflix, Andy. Oh my it? goodness, Ed Harris is in this. Oh, well, he's yeah, he's the main bad all. guy. Yeah, and uh, Michael Bine 
from Alien. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Gosh. And and um oh now again I'm blanking on the the actor's name. Uh Candyman um oh is is also one of the bad guys in gosh so um it looks like it looks like it's on amc okay well um so you might because it's an american movie classic (laughs) so (laughs) yeah i have to watch this like there's no other choice in life i think yeah, it it's it's also on Amazon Prime, but d- not for free. It doesn't oh, look gotcha. like. Okay. Well, don't pay so, for it. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to have to pay for it if you. Uh, ho- you know, was hoping there would be a. You know, it would be free on some streaming service. So yeah, watch The Rock. Then we're going to watch. Uh, JB is excited for this one as well. Uh, the Simpsons episode "You Only Move Twice." Oh, what a great one. Featuring oh. Hank Scorpio, the greatest Bond villain ever. Albert Brooks as the bad guy. Can't do any better. And uh, and then after that, we're going to watch The Saint with Val Kilmer. Oh, The Saint. That is a good one, though. Yeah. And, and then we'll be back to Tomorrow Never Dies after that. So that'll be almost a month before we come back into Bond country. But... Um, yeah, that's the road we're gonna take for the next uh, the next few weeks. So that should be a lot of fun. I feel like you just renamed the podcast perfectly well by using Bond Country. Bond Country. Yeah, I feel like that's like the, the sensible, down to earth, like homey kind of Bond podcast. Like, come on into down to Bond Country and hang out with us for a little while. Come on down to Bond Country. We'll tell you about these movies. <laughs> We, we got old Tommy Andy, Bond. That's... We got the, we got the new Bond. Yeah, we got we got wooden Bond who can't act worth shit. It's all great here. <laughs> I am channeling Joe Don Baker. Yeah, a little bit. Sounds <laughs> like a little bit. To, I was trying to do Mark's Italian accent. Oh god. <laughs> yeah. You got to come back, Marco, because we're just going to keep dunking on you till you do. Hey, you got to know that License to Kill used to be my favorite movie. Then I saw that shit again. Holy damn, that's a terrible film. (laughs) (laughs) The semi turned on its goddamn side. That shit is ridiculous. (laughs) Come on down to Bond Country. On the podcast, unless you talk like that the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't watch the world. Yeah. Next time I'll remember to bring my accent. Oh man, can you imagine if we all did terrible accents on a podcast? We've talked about that. Like if if I did my terrible Russian accent the whole time, and let's go back and redo Moonraker's podcast with accents. <laughs> you I don't know if better? that'll help. <laughs> Who is moving to polish it? <laughs> <laughs> so. All right. Uh, that's it. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, thanks. Thanks Melissa for being here. Thanks Brooke. Thanks JB. And especially thanks Kay for being here. Uh, this has been amazing. Uh, and thanks everyone for listening and we'll, we'll see y'all next time. At Bond Country. Y'all come back now. You're here. Throw back your head and kiss it all goodbye.
Thank you. That will be all. God damn it! That's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye.